Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Craft it to remove gluten. Check, check, check. I wonder how they remove the gluten. Same way they remove gluten out of everything else. How? What is the process? How do you remove gluten? I think you don't remove it. Now I'm curious. Now I'm curious. You just don't use gluten products. There's Things gluten can, in everything, so how not do everything. you take it out? There's not gluten in everything. In, like, everything, okay? So how do they take it out? What is the process? Nah, there's organic, gluten-free stuff. My kids eat that shit. Mm-hmm. They do. All right, so I don't know. We'll play a little little bumper, a little intro. Is this then, the one uh, you just made? Yeah. So let's see if I can do this. I'm using this new uh, app thing. Let's see if this works. B.B. Cooper, Northwest Orient Flight 305, whiskey and soda, cigarette, and 200 grand. When he got on a plane in Portland, Oregon last night, he was just another passenger who gave his name as D.A. Cooper. But today, after hijacking a Northwest Airlines jet, ransoming the passengers in Seattle, then making a getaway by parachute somewhere between there and Reno, Nevada, description on one wire service, master criminal. Finally, it's one of the most notorious unsolved crimes in U.S. history. The 1971 D.B. Cooper hijacking when a man jumped out of a plane with a parachute and a bag of ransom money and vanished. Now, 45 years later, the FBI is closing the case because of a lack of credible leads. It's like detective work. It's the most baffling unsolved crime in FBI history. What is up? What's up, everybody? This is the XD Experience with your host, Inspector Gidget, and... M. Allen Caldwell. <laughs> You're still doing that? Sure, why not? M. Allen Caldwell. Look, it doesn't I, roll I, off the tongue. finally fixed my mic stand and got it where I wanted Oh, it. look at you. It's not like on that weird trappy thing nope. that I made. I actually mounted it and put it up here right. It ain't going nowhere, so it should be Perfect. Uh, what's up, guys? What's uh, up? Agent M. You can find us everywhere, xdexperience.com. Check out our Facebook. We got some good stuff going on over there. So this episode is going to be kind of interesting um, because we're going to be talking, like we said last week, to uh, Darren Schaefer from the Cooper Vortex uh, mm-hmm. podcast. We're going to be uh, talking to him. I'm going to have some question to a- questions to ask him. And uh, some just some you know pretty cool talk. So we're going to get to him in a bit here. Because um, today is... Today is the te- anniversary. Technically, I mean the, Thanksgiving the, Eve. Yeah, Thanksgiving Eve. The date doesn't line up, but Thanksgiving Eve, Eve nineteen seventy one. Uh, yep, he he jumped out of the plane. Uh, Cooper made a daring escape and or splattered to his death. We don't know. Well, he did make a, a daring escape. It, escape <laughs> if you succeed. So if you die, you didn't escape. But we don't know if he died. Right, that's what I said. So it's a daring escape either way. Because it's up in the air. Either it, way, it's plausible. an escape. If he lived and got away, if he died, well, he, mi- he just died. He might have gotten away. He might have gotten away. Remember, with without a paddle, they yes. fa- they found D.B. Yes. Cooper. I love that movie. I love that it. I wasn't expecting that because mm-hmm. I seen that movie in the movie theaters, and when that happened, I was like, D.B. Cooper. Because look, D.B. Cooper is like one of the cases that is like my, my in my my top three. 
Like, I love this case. I even did my senior paper on it in high school. So I'm very excited to talk to this guy. I did not get to listen to his podcast, but Michael did. I listened to it. Yes, I also listened to his episode on the Higher Side Chats, which uh, we'll get into here in a bit once we get him on. Um, I'm ready. I'm excited to talk about this. A couple things I want to uh, throw out there real quick uh, before we get going. The Mandalorian. Guys, if you haven't checked this thing out, uh, Jesus fucking Christ, go do it because it's fucking amazing. It's on Disney+. Plus. It is on Disney+. Plus. Um, but it's it's goddamn amazing. And I, I, it, the fucking score, the music is just I incredible. have to watch Watchmen. I'm hearing so Watchmen's much good, good stuff about Watchmen. I've been Watchmen. watching Watchmen. Mandalorian's better. Okay. The, the, the Watchmen's pretty but good. But Mandalorian, isn't that Star Wars? Yeah. So can I watch it without seeing the rest of the Star War? Yeah, because it's about Mandalorians, which we really don't know. What's a, a Mandalorian? About. Is that the white thing? No. No, that's a stormtrooper. It's a religion. Oh, yeah. Mandalorian is a religion? Yeah, the Mandalorians are like a I type of people. I thought that guy was the Mandalorian. He is a Mandalorian. But that's Boba Fett. Boba Fett is not in this show. Oh. But he maybe he was. We might have saw him walk behind someone. Uh, why isn't he the main? Because they didn't want to do that. They wanted to create a new character, which I'm fine with. It's fucking... He, but you love Bobo. Boba. Oh. Yes, I do. Boba. <laughs> but he'll Mr. Get his, Fett. You he'll, love Mr. Fett. He'll get, he'll get his due <laughs> when, uh, when, when the time is right. Okay. I know you've just been waiting a long time. Yeah, they were supposed to do some um, stuff with him in the past. They were supposed to do a movie and stuff like that, but uh, that, from what I hear, has been shelved, but they need to... Uh, I just noticed your beard hair is wavy. It's always wavy. It's got this wave going on right by your ear. <laughs> um, I did. Okay, so Mr. Robot, the last time we talked, I said the season was a little dry. Yo, the last two episodes are some of the best things I've ever seen on television. The story, the acting, the just the character development is what's happening in Mr. Robot. I mean, it, so it's a little bit less about hacking now and more about finishing elegant story, which I feel like that's why the season was a little weird in the beginning. But we finally find out, you know, Mr. Robot, who he is, where he came from. Um, and we discover some things about Elliot's past. So that was exciting. But um, yeah, so check that out. I haven't really watched much TV beyond that. Have you watched The Walking Dead? No, I'm still not caught up with that. We've been, I've been watching, we've been watching a ton of stuff right here. Just not that. Uh, Rick and Morty's back. It's fucking great. Um, we've been, we've been binging into a ton of that stuff. But no, uh, my, my biggest stuff right now has been The Mandalorian, and Titans is dope. Uh, Nightwing is about to, to be unveiled for the first time next week. We got to get a sneak peek at his suit this past week, which is really cool. Uh, somebody's gonna die in next week's episode. I'm pretty sure I know who uh, it is. Mandalorian? No, in Titans. Oh. Um, I'm pretty sure I know who 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 it is, and it's gonna kind of suck. But I get why they would do it. Uh, but we'll have to. to I guess we'll see. There. Project Blue Book is coming back January 21st, guys. Yeah, it feels like late to me. I know. I fe- when did it start last time? Wasn't it like in the fall? Uh. I felt like it was around October. But they have a little, you know, <laughs> teaser thing going on. And we are drinking Jay that. Allen Hynek is awesome. Mm-hmm. I love that guy. And your boyfriend's back. My boyfriend's back and he's, he's going to get me in trouble. Hey, nah. Hey, nah. Um, My boyfriend's back. Jack Black thinks Nacho Libre should join the Avengers. Absolutely. So I never saw Nacho Libre. My God. Is that a, is that a comic thing? No. It's just a goofy movie he made, but that would be awesome if he showed up as an Avenger. Just for fun. Just, just for shows funsies. up like, hey guys, I'm ready. Oh, you you know you <laughs> you know it is cool. I went back and started watching the original 1987 
TMNT, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles run from mm-hmm. from the beginning. The animated? Yeah, yeah. F- the original cartoon. And my God, is it fun. Like, it's fun. I, I've went down I like- I still gotta watch DuckTales. DuckTales is awesome. Then you gotta watch Tailspin. I'm just gonna watch DuckTales. How many seasons are there? There's a lot. <laughs> and then there's Darkwing Duck. Well, I heard Darkwing Duck is cool. Darkwing Duck was awesome. I was just playing his game on Game, game Boy upstairs. He's oh, like, look at let's you. Let's get dangerous. That's what that's his tagline. Adorable. Uh, I don't know how I feel about Tesla's pickup truck camper thing. What's wrong with it? It looks very Batman esque. It's cyberpunk. It's gonna be like eight billion dollars. No, for it's one. actually decent. It's actually not that badly priced. Okay, can I? Can it's I... less than like a, a Silverado all macked out. Did you hear about his dad? Yeah, I don't. I don't know the story. So, so him and his dad, Tesla and his father, have not been seeing eye to eye for a long time. Uh, Tesla, Elon, actually told called him the evilest man he knew. Uh, so he actually just had a baby with his stepdaughter. But like, I guess like he she was out of his life, and then they reconnected. I like what Jim Tessimer said. What to his defense on their home planet? That's normal. <laughs> Probably is. Probably is. On the planet of the musk. The musk. Is that what it's called? Oh, the planet of the musk. I'm very upset by this news. What news? Lewis has passed away. I don't know who Lewis is. The koala. Oh. He passed away the other day, and my heart still breaks. Look, I'm about to cry just talking about my heart still breaks. I just want to be able to do more. And I was writing a story on drop airs, and now I'm, I don't know if I should finish it. <laughs> Why wouldn't you? Because it's the koalas. But then I thought, yeah. okay, so maybe I can switch it and then just put it on Amazon. And even if it only makes like five bucks, like have it go to charity type of thing sure. to help Australia. Because like 80% of, yeah, the, 80% of the koalas' natural, like God their numbers are gone. They were wiped out in this fire. So, I don't know, man. They'll come back strong like the thylacine. The thylacine. That's my machete. <sighs> machete. John right. Tarato. Tur- I can never say his name right. That he's going to be in Batman. Yeah, uh, he's going to uh, play uh, Falcone, yes. which I think is dope. Uh, that guy is actually great casting. And that movie has been delayed because fuckboy can't get weight put on. And now they're going to delay it because he can't get the muscle. Just get him pads. Jesus fucking Christ. Just no. Get him pads. Just recast it for fuck's sake. Did you see this British robbery suspect apparently tried to use pads? I couldn't tell it was the same guy. <laughs> I had no clue. <laughs> I love that people were like, it's called Clark Kenting. Okay? I've been saying that shit for Clark years. Clark Kenting. <laughs> I've been saying that. And then somebody said they're not the same man, but I looked at the story on because like most of the time when I post stuff, I, I told look you it it's not the same guy. It. It looks like two totally different No, it people. is the same guy. No. I did research. No. Yes, it is. It is. Uh, I'm joking. Snyder's Cut coming to HBO Max. Oh. They need to do that. Um, I know a lot of the people who are involved in the Snyder Cut have been pushing for that. So if that would happen, I think it would be pretty goddamn cool. All right, so we are about... Yeah, I think that's all we really got to talk about. Oh, they canceled the Victoria's Secret Faction show. Oh, boo. After years. I feel like that should have been well, gone Well, that years was ago. because of the Epstein scandal. Yeah, true. He's tied Some to of that, and they started going bankrupt. Well, so. well, that they're going bankrupt because of the Epstein. Scans, so we'll scandal. see what happens. Epstein was like the the guy behind I the know. Victoria's Secret like financial shit for all those years. Um. So yeah, fuck him. Uh. All right. So we're gonna jump off here and get ready to uh, talk to Darren. And I have Darren. 
have a little. I have his, his intro oh, for the podcast. Oh, can I just ask a question real quick? What? What's up with all these memes? I'm gonna tell my kids this is, and then they show something stupid. Is there a reason behind that? That's just it. I'm gonna tell my kids this is so somebody. nobody did something. No, like he's gonna tell his kids this is the Kool Aid Man because okay, I get that. In everybody's mind, <laughs> and he's Jones. the Kool Aid guy. Don't drink the Kool Aid. But it was a fruit flavored drink, juice drink. Yeah, it was great. Um, but so and, I just thought maybe flavored. that was like because everyone was posting these memes, and I'm like. Did I miss something? Yeah, you missed all of it, I guess. Well, what started it? What prompted it? It doesn't matter. It's just a goofy meme. Okay, whatever. I'm just kidding. It doesn't have to be. I thought maybe I missed something. It doesn't something. have to be deep meanings behind memes. It's just a fucking meme. I thought that I missed something. No. Yeah, okay. you missed you missed the meme joke. All right, whatever. The meme train. You. Some of them were funny, but I'm like so you confused. Mi- you missed a meme train. I was just confused at it. Whatever. Get the fuck out of here. All right. Look, we got to talk to Darren. It ain't my fault. Darren. Yeah. Oh, right. he just accepted my friend request. I feel so lucky. Yeah. All <laughs> right. So we're going to uh, get off here, get talking to him, and then we'll be right back in just a second. The day before Thanksgiving in 1971, a man identifying himself as Dan Cooper bought a plane ticket from Portland to Seattle. He hijacked the plane, claiming he had a bomb in his briefcase and demanded $200,000 in four parachutes. He jumped out of the plane with the money and the bomb somewhere over the Pacific Northwest, never to be seen again. The FBI claims to have investigated over a thousand people, including dozens of deathbed confessions. In 2016, 45 years after the hijacking, the FBI suspended its investigation of the case. While the FBI is no longer looking for D.B. Cooper, there is a community of people who are trying to solve the case on their own. Welcome to the Cooper Vortex. What is up, people? We are here with Dan from... uh, Darren. Darren, I'm sorry. I was (laughs) thinking of Dan. My bad. We have Dan Cooper with us tonight. <laughs> I would, yeah, that'd be really awesome. I'm sorry. We have uh, Darren. Have Dan on the brain. <laughs> I know. Uh, you hear all this Dan, DB, and then like all today, I've been like going into it. So we are here with uh, Darren from the Cooper Vortex Podcast. What's up, man? Hey guys, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Hold on one second. <laughs> that went really loud. All right, how's that? Let's see. Thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. <laughs> We are having technical difficulties. No, we're 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 good now. Uh, what's up, man? So uh, I gotta ask you something, man. How the hell did you get into DB Cooper? Like, give me the how the hell you ended up in this whole this whole uh, twisted web of whatever you want to call it. Escape. Uh, well, I lived in in Woodland, Washington, which oh. is just outside the theorized drop zone. So it was just a local story. I had some passing interest in. And then I read uh, Skyjack by Jeffrey Gray, mm-hmm. which led to Into the Blast by Robert Blevins. And then I picked up Bruce Smith's book, and then I just fell completely into this rabbit hole. And I was just fascinated by the fact that the FBI couldn't solve this case, but but there were so many people who were trying to do it on their own. Yeah, that's yeah. one of the things that I didn't realize that there were till I heard you There's... on uh, Greg Carwood's show, the Higher Side Chats, was how many people are still currently involved in trying to figure this this case out. Um, I li- the first episode you did on on, on your podcast was with uh, Bruce Smith, and that was like like I'm listening to this like holy shit. There's so much more to this mm-hmm. story that 
was never released to the public because as you know, he talks it in that episode, we got two different versions of the story. We got the story that the public put out. And then we also got, you know, the story that, you know, the people who were involved kind of like corroborated over the years. And that was what I was, what I found more interesting is because it was always seemed to be, and I think even Greg had said this, what seemed to be like this whole cut and dry thing really wasn't cut and dry at all. It was just kind of like what we were led you know, led to believe by the media they at the time. They told us the cliff notes. Big time. Yeah, you absolutely. Know, and one of the things about this case is that, you know, there's no photo of Dan Cooper or D.B. Cooper. There's no video of him. Mm-hmm. The only information we have is a compilation of eyewitness testimony. And, you know, we all know how reliable that is. So mm-hmm. it leaves all the details of the case up for speculation and debate. And I think that's why I love this case so much, because you can just dive into it and you don't know which way you're going to turn. You know, you're going to be like, oh, my God, maybe this person did it. Oh, maybe this person. Did it. Well, it's maybe it, he died. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, it was it was really cool because one of the things that you've done on on your show is you've interviewed all these different people who claimed, you know, a lot of, them are, you know, uh, uh, Gossett's uh, son. You you talked to him recently, you know, and it's like, you know, you hear all these different stories and you're like. Well, that story sounds believable. Like every time you hear another story of somebody claiming that they could have been or their parents could have or claimed to have been DB, uh, you're like, no way. But then when you hear the story, you're like, well, it kind of fits in. I mean, is it just me or does it just seem like this guy was so it could have been so many different people across so many different boards. But yet here we are, what, 40 some years later and we're like, I really don't know who this was. It's pretty amazing. But I also it think, is pretty amazing. I oh go ahead, Gidget. I also think that a lot of these stories, like a lot of these people, could be this person because that's a different time period where most people had, you know, war, you know, experience and yeah, did well, all that stuff. And you know, the, like I was saying earlier, like uh, everything, like when you listen to uh, your podcast, it's like you hear the story from somebody else, and then you're like, all those pieces kind of fit into this puzzle, and then the next person comes along, and you're like, no way is this person going to fit. But yet, all those pieces fit into the puzzle, and you're like, man, I, it, it could have been. Like, it could have yeah. been that person. Mm-hmm. Like, it seriously, it could have, like, you just don't know. A hundred percent. I really think there's probably like 20 suspects that are plausible. Yeah. You know, you hear the full story, and it's like, mm-hmm. okay, I get it. I'm following along. Uh, that makes sense to me. And because so little is actually known about D.B. Cooper you're able to kind of fit these stories and narratives in. So there, there isn't many details known about him. There's no DB Cooper story before the hijacking and none after. And so you just have to find someone who's qualified to be able to, to pull that off. And then you can kind of just make the story fit. Yeah. uh, I was, when I was listening to your episode with Bruce Smith, uh, hearing him talk and, you know, He's pretty convinced it was probably special forces, you know, from what I gather, you know, it sounds like he was, he's really leaning toward that camp and, um, you know, and so you're like, all right, I get it. Like it would have to be in, into the point where you, uh, I forget where, where it was, you were talking about the Boeing 727 was when, um, when he had asked to have the stairs down in the back that they were doing, Boeing apparently was doing tests on those in Vietnam. So it's like, makes you wonder, like, this guy probably had to, maybe could have been Vietnam at the time. So it could have been military. Well, Boeing was also actually doing um, tests with, uh, what is it called? Um, But the the organic material found on the tie that they just analyzed, 
that they found, they said it was um, an experimental supersonic something that Boeing was doing. So they think that it, he might have been a Boeing employee. Yeah, and it wasn't just the, the military doing tests. The CIA was doing tests uh, outside Vietnam with the 727, mm -hmm. using it in covert operations because people would think it was a passenger airliner. You know, have you ever thought of, what if what if he was MK Ultra? Has that has that ever came up, Darren? Oh, a bunch of times. Yeah. Like, because now that I'm sitting here thinking about it, I'm like, you know what? I mean, it 70s, it would have been towards the tail end, but I mean, it totally could have been plausible that he would have been involved in this. But um, at, you know, uh, yeah, that's kind of interesting. I wonder if there was anything involved in that. I mean, there's even a DB Cooper researcher who online goes by the name of Georger who believes it's possible that Ted Kaczynski could have pulled this off. <laughs> what, how and, crazy and he was that heavily be? involved in the MK Ultra program. Right? Yeah. How crazy would that be if that ended up being like if what 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 if that's it and it comes out and you're all the somehow they managed to gather gather DNA and it's like it was Ted Kaczynski. People would lose their fucking minds. Yeah, cuz that's one of my problems with this case cuz they they were able to make a partial profile from his dna because they're not sure which was which so every suspect that they've actually eliminated with dna you can say well you don't know it's a partial profile <laughs> and it's a shame it's a shame at the time because you know nobody really knew much <clears throat> about dna later on you know for i mean in the future like i mean the glasses that he was drinking out of just got mixed into the common folk and just got washed and it's like that's such a shame because yeah. that would have held everything right i mean mm -hmm. dna all over yeah, and they threw away the cigarette butts. You know, yeah. they collected, I believe, eight cigarette butts that he smoked on the flight. And then I saw an FBI document where they instructed the agents to examine the cigarette butts for evidence. And then when they were done, throw them away. You know, without DNA in mind, I don't know exactly what evidence you would hope for. And maybe to try and pull a print off a paper filter on a cigarette, but... Yeah. Those cigarette butts are gone now, and they would have been a fantastic source for DNA. Oh, Raleigh cigarettes? What is it? How is it pronounced? Raleigh. There we Raleigh. go. There we go. Raleigh cigarettes. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a shame because, you know, um, we just didn't know enough at the time, you know, to be able to, to look into the future and say, we need to hang on to this kind of stuff because in the future we might be able to use it for more purposes. Um, but, I mean, yeah, that does suck. Yeah, it does. <laughs> But uh, so, you know, a lot of people don't talk about, too, is uh, which I find really I'm a comic book guy. So I, I, I got to ask your opinion on, on this. How do you feel about the Dan Cooper comic book in relation to Dan Cooper slash D.B. Cooper, the hijacker? You think there's any coordination between the two? I would like to think so, because I think it makes the story better. But even if you're going to use an alias, you know, you're going to make up a name for the hijacking. There's pretty much an infinite supply of male names you could make up. Mm -hmm. And to land on the name Dan Cooper, who happens to be a daredevil pilot who's right. skydiving all the time and a test pilot, I think that's an incredible coincidence. And if you examine that comic book, there are episodes of him with a bomb on a commercial flight. There's episodes of him jumping from planes there's a photograph on the cover of one of their of the comic books where he's jumping out of a plane that's exploding i mean it's just a 
incredible coincidence yeah. if it's a coincidence. I, I was going through the uh, comic book stuff recently, and I'm like, I have I have a hard time believing in like coincidences. I, I think mm-hmm. that things happen for a reason. People use things, you know, what goes into your head comes out in some form, shape, or fashion. And I think that this was kind of like, Maybe, you know, he was the type of guy that read this and thought, okay, well, I kind of had this experience and I can do this. Well, that's Dan another, Cooper. Sounds good. Yeah. That's another theory, though, because then, then they say, okay, well, maybe he wasn't American. And that's why he said um, negotiable American currency was the ransom because it was never, that comic was never released in the U.S., correct? I think it was Canadian, correct. wasn't it? It was Canadian. Yeah. Comic. So, so some people think that he might have been Canadian. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that changes it up with the, if you think about the suspects and stuff like that. But then again, we're talking about a time with war where people did travel a lot. So, you know, it, the, it's really nuts to think that, you know, um, this kind of kicked off everything that, you know, we kind of started looking at safety in, in air flight. We, because of this, we, we changed a lot of things. Um, there was the, uh, what was that? The stair thing. They changed there. It's called the Cooper flap or some shit. The, uh, Cooper vein or something. Yeah, exactly. The Cooper vein. So yeah. it was just a flap under the stairs that once the plane started flying, the wind would push it back and prevent the rear air stairs from being lowered yeah. while the plane was traveling. Yeah, and that's kind of at the peepholes to the plane so that the people could see what's going on. Yeah, the crew could see what's going on in the plane. Pe- yeah, peepholes where? Huh? Peepholes where? On the door from the cockpit. <laughs> Because they couldn't really see. Okay. So they added those. I've never heard that, but that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean, he was able to get on the plane with a briefcase bomb and gave a fake ID. I mean, he didn't even have to show identification. They just asked his name. Um, You know, think about your experience at the airport today. I mean, that's wild that he's just able to take a briefcase bomb onto a plane. You know, other people around the time were able to get on planes with parachutes um, McCoy did that skyjacking with a fake mm-hmm. grenade and an unloaded <laughs> handgun. Yeah. And I think in 1972, they started implementing the, um, checking the passengers. So in like 1972, I think there was like 33 hijackings, but in 73, when they completely implemented it, there was only like three. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty wild that somebody can just, could have been able to just like, just like you guys said, you know, be able to walk onto a plane with a briefcase, uh, slash bomb, and and to to be so calm about it, like I mean, nowadays you think if you would even attempt, to, I mean, like be sweating, like mm. just if you try and smuggle like a a freaking fruit bar bag, you know, I mean, you you, <laughs> I you panic that you're gonna get locked up for the rest of your life. And this guy was able to to walk on board of a plane, you know, give a fake name, and with a bomb that eighteen seventy five. Uh, it was just under 20 yeah. wasn't it just under 20 darren or something Around yeah it was, it was 20 dollars exactly with yeah. tax so i mean that, and, and that's crazy in itself i mean just the fact that air, air flight was that bad but you know it's funny because when i talk to people and i'm like yeah you got away with two hundred thousand dollars like that's not much i'm like and today it's like one million something it's a little over yeah a million. just over 1.2 million yeah yeah i mean like that's that's a decent amount of change i mean i mean i feel like a lot of people forget cultural context probably i guess um, but yeah, so I found that pretty, uh, pretty wild. Um, Darren, I got to ask you, man, like you've heard all these different people tell their stories, like kind of like, how do you feel like in this since you've been doing the podcast, has your, has your perception of who this could have been like, cause for me, it always felt like, well, it's probably Rackstraw, you know, that's kind of who I always felt like it was. 
pretty much for the last like 15 years or so. But, um, you know, you hear all these different stories and you're like, wow, there's so many different people that this possibly could. Has it changed your perspective like more than once or or are you still on who you believe it initially was? When I first came into this, I thought it was Kenny Christensen just Mm -hmm. based on the avenue that I came into it. You know, and hearing you say that you like Rackstraw, you know, I think that a lot of people come into it that way. But when you really start to dive into it, both of those two suspects, especially Kenny Christensen and Robert Rackstraw, none of the people who seriously investigate this believe it's either of those people. Yeah, I don't Isn't that think crazy? Either of them. Yeah, Rackstraw was, I believe, 28 at the time of the hijacking. Mm-hmm. And Tina Mucklow sat next to him for almost five hours, and she put his age at mid to late 40s. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think a woman would be better at guessing a man's age than a man would. And I don't think that she would be off by 20 years. No, I don't think so. Not at all. I mean, for me, the two main suspects that I am still researching on um, is the Walter, Walter Recca? Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. Yep. And William J. Smith, just because they're newer kind of like suspects and like some of the stuff that they've released is kind of like, huh, interesting. (laughs) Yeah, those are both really interesting suspects uh, that have covered both of them pretty extensively on the show. Rekka is very interesting because his story is completely different than everyone else. Yes. You know, everyone assumes D.B. Cooper was this genius. It was this highly thought out and well-executed plan. Whereas the Rekka story, Rekka's kind of a bumbling criminal who wants to commit a crime involving a parachute. Yeah. And there aren't many crimes you can escape from with a parachute. No. So he pulls this off. And in his story, everything just kind of seems to go his way. Like the eyewitness with the cowboy. Yeah, and he's... There's evidence of the night of the hijacking of this guy they refer to as cowboy, Jeff Osadich, Mm -hmm. who saw him that night in a suit carrying a, a briefcase and a duffel bag and needed directions from where he was. The only problem with that, though, is... He said he landed in Clay Ellum, Washington, which is wildly outside the flight path. I'm talking like 70 miles mm. east well, of where the the plane should have been. Well, I mean, Although you do have evidence for that. Yeah. So uh, I'm not sure how to settle that. The A lot of the people inside the, the Cooper Vortex or the D.B. Cooper community, they don't pay a lot of attention to... Walter Recca, mm-hmm. uh, mostly for that flight path reason, but I think it's definitely worth investigating and, and very interesting. I mean, he's the only suspect like that. We don't have an account for anyone else that night, really. Yeah, I mean, and the fact that the guy Jeff remembered him and then gave basically the same testimony, like, this is what happened, I saw this guy, like, to the T. It was just, it's very strange. It makes me just wonder... Yeah, and his confession is on tape. Yes. Um, there's that documentary, The Real D.B. Cooper, that's really good. I'd highly recommend it. And you can listen to the tape confession. And then they had a forensic linguist go over the tape confession. And the forensic linguist they got, who is, you know, has a lot of credentials under his name, uh, believes he's telling the truth mm-hmm. on that tape confession. Yeah. 
I mean, because like the way he describes like the landscape and like certain details was just very interesting. Mm. Uh, so I definitely am going to look more into him because I think the documentary was released in like 2018, right? I believe so. Yeah. Early 2018. Yeah. So it's fairly new. Mm. So it's very interesting. But I, I like uh, his story is interesting to me. Yeah, and I've talked to the crew that's been working and researching that story, and they've been on that since, like, 2012. Oh, really? I did not know that. But we're waiting to publish everything until they had their information put together. Well, he said he wanted to die, right? And then you could release the information. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Walt said you could release this after I die, but not until then. That's crazy. You know, and they had his friend Carl that he confessed to got his DNA kind of behind his back. He went to go visit him and he was blowing his nose a lot. So he grabbed one of these tissues and put it in a Ziploc bag and then had a DNA profile made and then had a lawyer submit it to the FBI without any names attached to it. And then Walt calls Carl like two weeks later and is like, you motherfucker, I told you to not submit my DNA. What the hell are you doing? And then the lawyer comes back saying uh, they weren't able to match it to anyone. Mm. So it's like, how did Walt find out that his DNA was submitted when there were no names attached to it? And he obviously got a different story back than the lawyer did who had submitted it to the FBI. And the D.B. Cooper case is a partial like profile. So we can't say for a fact that it is his DNA. So how, it's very perplexing. How much alphabet? I can't even say for a fact that it's his DNA at all. Exactly. So we don't know. The cigarette butts are what would how be much, important. How <laughs> much alphabet soup agency fuckery do you think is going on in this case? Because there has to be quite a bit, I would think, right? I mean, I feel like... I mean, I've been through. I the feel case like files. I feel like they were kind of covering their ass to 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 get a to get away to get away from the embarrassment of it all. Doesn't yeah, it, th- does it feel that. like that? I mean, because it was different than a lot of the hijackings. Like this was like so. This is like the um, the only unsolved commercial hijacking in history, right? Yeah. Like USA history. I don't in know about world history. In I world think. world history. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't sure about that completely, but I mean, I do feel like they were trying to like cover their asses to an extent but at the same time like there's when you read the case files and you see like there's this whole story about how there was this one guy i guess previous like maybe a month or something before who was on a plane asking you know what would happen if we threw this off the plane saying that he was like a script writer have you ever read that no i haven't so yeah so if you actually look in the case files um so this guy was, like, asking the pilots and stuff like that, like, oh, well, if this depressurizes, you know, what would happen? Or could you do this or do that? And, like, it's actually in the, in the um, if you go on, like, the Vault website, it has, like, this whole thing. And they kind of suspected that maybe it was him. And they actually made a profile saying, okay, well, we need to find this guy. He said he worked in Hollywood or he was, like, a newspaper article, you know, author, so it's very interesting that you had this guy previously ask all these questions and then D.B. Cooper comes and does it. <laughs> yeah, that is pretty wild. That's it. Yeah, that... it's actually... Um, hold on. That's pretty nuts. <clears throat> yeah, it's a whole case file, um, but I'll tell you which one it's in just so that you know. So, so... Darren, how old were, 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 were you about the time you got into this? I remember the first time I heard this story was I was probably about like... 
I'm 38, so I'm a little bit older than you. But I heard this case probably when I was about like I would say 10 or 12. It was probably on one of those like unsolved mysteries type things. I remember unsolved, unsolved mysteries. mysteries was where I was introduced to it. Also, I yes! love it. Like everybody's introducing this thing. Yeah. Uh, and it was great because I remember thinking to myself at the end of this, this must have been, I, I remember thinking, this is the coolest motherfucker in the world. He gets on a plane, says, bring me my money, bitch. They bring him his money eventually. I mean, you know, it does take a little bit. And then this man just jumps out of the plane never to be found again. I mean, how, not only is this one of the coolest, like, uh, crimes, I guess you could say, but it's just, it has, like, this era of badassness. Um, it, it's funny because you hear people talk about it so much, but yet it's it's just one of these topics that just never seem to die. And it's, you've kind of become, like, the new, like, um, collector of all this information. Have you noticed that? Yeah, and that was kind of one of the goals of my show was that there I thought there were so many different and interesting theories and stories. And so I thought I'd love to, you know, collect them all and have them in one place so you could hear all these different versions and interpretations and theories in one spot. Yeah. You... And I listened to a lot of podcasts, so of course that's the format I wanted to do it in. Yeah, you totally are now the guy. Like if you want to hear something on D.B. Cooper or you hear a name – uh, you go on your show, you've you've gotten most of the big hitters, uh, you know, in the DB. And you know what's cool, too, about your show is a lot of times you're you at least it feels like this. You're sitting in the same room with them, at least on a few of them, which is pretty damn cool. Yeah, I've done, I would say, three quarters of them in person. If I can if I can get there and do it in person, I will. You know, I drove 10 hours to interview John Cameron in Montana and Damn. Greg Gossett, he was only, he's six hours from me in Utah. And then I drove all over the Pacific Northwest, Washington state and Oregon to interview uh, a bunch of other different people. Also. How do you feel about the Gossett case? Uh, I heard of the Gossett case originally years ago, listening to Clyde Lewis show uh, ground zero and, you know, he, he claims that, you know, Wolfgang Gossett, you know, who was like kind of like Clyde's mentor and all, all that, but he, you know, was this, he doesn't, Clyde doesn't really ever say if he thinks that he was, at least he doesn't ever like feel like he comes off that way. But he kind of is like talks about him quite a bit as being uh, a suspect in that case. And then when you listen to your podcast with his son, it's like, well, shit, he could have been. <laughs> It's a weird yeah, thing. Yeah, I spoke to Clyde Lewis in person about this, and I'm still hoping to bully him enough to get him on my show, but Clyde seems to be unsure yeah. if Gossett could have done it or not. And you're right out there with Clyde. You're, like, right in his area, so. Well, I live in Boise, and Clyde lives in Portland. Yeah, so not, I mean, you're closer than us, I should say. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> We're in but, Delaware. But, you know, when I went to interview Greg, I thought it was just okay, you know, here's the Wolfgang story. It is what it is. And, you know, Greg was the third person I've interviewed to tell me that their father was D.B. Cooper. And when I interviewed Greg and I left, I really left thinking like, God damn, it really could be Wolfgang Gossett. And I have had that feeling before, so maybe it's just because I'm super gullible, but the Wolfgang story is very interesting. He had the skill set to do it, I think he had the motive to do it, and I think he was crazy enough to do it. Yeah. Um, I... But, you know, there are things that go against it. I mean, he was a lifelong bullshitter. He was two different kinds of priest. He was a paranormal investigator. Right. 
I mean, he's just spent his life bullshitting people and kind of being a salesman. And, and you know, even if you take the D.B. Cooper stuff out of it, his mm-hmm. life was goddamn amazing. Could yeah. you imagine witnessing all the things that that guy did in his life? As you're listening to it, you're like, all right, he's a radio host, and he's a paranormal investigator, then I he's mean, this, VR that, and, and you're like, fuck, you know? But, yeah, not at this guy's life. Yeah, it was pretty cool to hear the story. You're like... Shit, if if it was him, how cool would that have been? It'd been somebody kind of like us, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Oh, it'd be so cool. There's a YouTube video where he's like doing exorcisms and going through I, houses that's and clearing right. spirits. I that's wanted awesome. to find that. I heard him mention to you on, on, on the show about that, and I was like, I got to look that up, but I uh, totally forgot about so it. So, Darren, I actually sent you two screenshots of the case files where they talked about um, the guy who was asking about... Um, the depressurizing and what happened if you throw this off the plane and the film industry and stuff. So I sent that to you. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. That's It's very interesting. Cause I feel like that's a detail that no one knew. And like, I feel like that could change up a lot of this story. One thing I got to ask you, Darren, um, and I heard uh, Bruce bring it up too. And uh, the Tina Mucklow, the possible molestation. How do you feel about that? That's a strange thing, right? That is a very strange thing, and uh, it's covered a little bit in my episode with Greg also. Greg said that his father made out with Tina Mucklow during the flight, but Bruce said uh, he sexually assaulted her. And so I'm not, I'm not sure what to think of that. Um, I assume Bruce would have had to have got that information possibly from Galen Cook. Uh, Galen Cook also investigating Gossett. So, you know, both Greg and Gossett are saying, you know, different versions of the same thing along that line. But Tina says immediately after that he was calm, cool, and collected mm-hmm. the whole time, never appeared nervous, and was, quote, even polite. And I can't imagine that I would say that about someone who had sexually assaulted me 45 minutes prior to that. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing with that is very perplexing to me because everyone described him as very, like, you know, he even offered to, like, get meals for the crew. (laughs) And Yeah, he he did. And he even paid, like, he tried to pay, he paid his drink tab and then tried to give it to Shape, or to, what was her name? Mucklow. No, Schaffner. Schiffner? Yeah, he tried to tip Florence Schaffner for the drink, and then when the money is brought on board the plane, Tina makes a joke. She's like, oh, my God, that's a lot of money. And he reaches in the bag and pulls out two bundles of cash and is like, here you go. And then she makes the joke again. Oh, I'm sorry. I can't accept gratuity. And Mm -hmm. I, I think that's so interesting. Like he's risking his life to do this for money, presumably, but then has a cavalier attitude about the money. I mean, how many bank robbers throw a pile of cash at the teller? Right. That that is weird, and that leads to the grudge kind of. Well, it, yeah, kind of theory. Like maybe he had a grudge against something, either the airline or or whatever. But I mean, I feel like it's or it being a government sanctioned operation. Yes, mm-hmm. I can it, see that. So, how strongly do you feel about that? How strongly do you feel about it being a government operation? You know, when I first started this, I would have said that that was bullshit and for conspiracy theorists and blah, blah, blah. And now I kind of lean towards that. Almost like Uh, a psyop, right? Yeah, for this to be pulled off the way it was, 
And the fact that the guy is able to be so calm the whole time. Almost like he knows he's not going to get caught. Yeah. I mean, or, you know, maybe he was like Bruce Smith says that he was a special forces guy. And so, you know, just being calm during an operation is just part of his training. I think it would be really tough for a civilian to be that calm during Mm -hmm. something like this and to have executed a plan so flawlessly. So I do kind of lean more towards that it is special forces or someone who has inside information like even if I know I'm going to get caught or if I get caught, I know I'm going to walk from this. And there was like five planes trailing the 727 that D.B. Cooper was on and none of them saw him jump. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And I I talked to uh, Matt Lamadou, who was a Navy SEAL. Uh, smoke jumper and Air Force pararescue, a PJ. Mm. And he said one of the interesting things about the speed that Cooper requested is that it is just beyond what a Huey would be able to fly Mm -hmm. and just below what the chase planes would be able to fly. That's interesting. Because I know some of them ran out of fuel. So then at that point, they they weren't even sure when he jumped. It's between what, 8 p.m. and 8.13? Yeah, if you're going to assume the pressure bump is him jumping out of the airplane, it's between you know, 8.11 and 8.13, depending on which account, which transcript. I mean, nobody had atomic clocks or uh, you know, digital watches yeah. or cell phones that are all yeah. connected. Nobody so had an Apple watch. It was just watch. whatever they set their watch by is what they marked it at. That, yeah, that's that, that alone is crazy. And I can't remember where I first heard the, the theory – that what if he never jumped? What if he hid in the uh, storage and just kind of dilly dallied off once they cleared the plane out? I that I would find hard, right? I would imagine that in something in a situation like this, they're going to look through that plane pretty thoroughly, yeah. right? I mean, because at that point, there's only five what five people left on board. Have that, you ever heard that of that, Darren? Cooper oh left. yeah, I hear that all the time, and it's usually from people who haven't looked into this at all like oh i bet he never jumped out of the plane right. he just hid in there that's kind of well I've... the fbi put dogs in the plane and right. i don't know if you've ever been on a plane but mm. there isn't exactly a bunch of fucking storage room no, no on it, there. it's not like indiana jones where you know you fall underneath the plane and there's you know yeah. all this room in the world you want it just doesn't work like that yeah. that always seemed like the lazy excuse you know like oh you know he never got off easy enough I don't know. Doesn't yeah, and then what sense. does he do? He hides in the plane, and then they search the plane for two hours or something, and then he just calmly walks out of the plane in Reno at the airport, and no one ever sees him. I just yeah. there's there's just I, no way. I don't way. buy that. No. I don't buy that at all. Yeah. I think he definitely jumped. Well, <laughs> I'll say this: every like eight year old part of me is like that dude jumped and he was badass and he like, he jumped out of there with his sunglasses on and was like deuces. <laughs> you, know, you, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, but you know, and, and that's what I feel like he did. Um, I, I, you know, part of me still wonders if he survived the jump. I would like to think that he did. It would be pretty awesome if he did. Right. I mean, it would be pretty awesome if, if this person was able to live out their entire life and know that. And I mean, I like, Whatever happens in the meantime with them, if they blew all the money that weekend on, you know, hook hookers and blow, whatever. You know what I mean? But just to know that you you were that guy that got away with this and you were able to live out your entire life, that'd be pretty kick well, ass. Well that would le- that's what kinda leads me towards the grudge aspect because then like none of the money is found. 
Besides, like, in 1980 when Brian Ingram well, found a bundle, a couple bundles. Yeah, Darren, speaking of the grudge, let's jump into that. The uh, Barbara Dayton story. I mean, uh, she be Cooper. <laughs> yeah, Barb Dayton is one of my favorite suspects. I don't know if she was D.B. Cooper or not, but just the fact that the first person in Washington state to get gender reassignment surgery mm -hmm. in 1969, yep. so two years before the hijacking, just her life's not going well. She's mad at the FAA because she isn't able to obtain her commercial pilot's license and just kind of feeling down about herself dresses back up like a man, mm -hmm. pulls this off, puts the money in a culvert, and never even attempts to retrieve it afterward just to prove to herself that she's still a badass. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, goes back to her life as a woman. You know, she was working as a librarian at, at WSU, I believe. And Ron Foreman, who I talked to about this, you know, he said they never caught D.B. Cooper because they were looking for a man. Right. Mm -hmm. And I just think that is a fucking great story. Yeah, that podcast. That is a great story. That podcast you did with them was really cool. Uh, I could just, I had all these visuals in my head as they were talking. When they were talking about how they like turned the corner at the hangar and she was like kicking her heater core or something down the, the runway and cussing. And I was like, oh my God. Like to me, I had like this visual cue of what this whole story was playing out in my head and it just it felt really awesome like to me i was like all right this could be really cool wouldn't this be so much fun yeah. if that was if that was if that would happen to be the the truth behind it? i and think I that like, would be an awesome story and i like that he only recanted because the statues of limitations <laughs> he was like yeah, absolutely. they're still available <laughs> and that was one of those stories where I went and did that interview at their house, and when I knocked on the door, I thought, this story is crazy bullshit, and they're trying to sell a couple of books. And then when I interviewed them and talked to them, you know, they're the nicest, most regular people. And Pat told me that she had wanted to write this book about their friend, uh, Barb, and they even debated on whether or not to put the D.B. Cooper thing in because her life was so amazing, Yeah. whether or not that was part of the story. And when I left their house, I was like, holy shit, you know, they're 100% telling the truth. You know, whether Barb told them the truth or not is up for debate, but mm -hmm. the Foremans are 100% telling the truth. Yeah, I totally really dug the way that whole, like I was saying, that whole in interview, I felt like, like they were, they totally believed everything they said. Mm -hmm. I, I could feel that, you know, they totally told exactly how they felt and how they believed. Um, I just thought it was amazing how like one minute Barb was like a union electrician and then she's like a lumberjack. And then she was like all these different things. And you're like, Jesus, Which Christ. Also this lady lived the coolest fucking life ever. And she was the first person, like, like you said, in the state, they had the, yeah. the, the operation. I mean, and that also makes you think because like the organic material found on his tie suggests that he was either a chemist or an engineer dealt with scrap metal, you know, or worked for the Boeing company. So I feel like all the stuff was available to that person, but I mean, I don't know if I really believe it. Look, I would love the Barb Staten story to be true. If I got to pick one of the stories to be the true one, I might pick that one. I mean, I would too. It would be, a, it would be, it would be an awesome story. And, you know, like, and it would, geez, I mean, I just think it would like, it would just be so damn cool if that was the truth. Yeah. You know, uh, but one thing I will say is like, you're, I mean, this lady had a heart, was a heart attack or a stroke and landed a goddamn airplane, you know, like who does that? 
her apparently. And she said, oh, yeah. she and gave a location. She has the is. heart attack in the air. Right. And <laughs> Pat is sitting there next to her and her husband's in the plane across the way. And then she wakes back up, lands the plane. And then the funniest part of that story to me is they have to go back home. And Pat's like, I don't want to ride with Barb. She had a heart attack. <laughs> and so her husband, Pat, says to her, why don't you ride back with her? And that way, if she has another heart attack or something happens, you can kind of save the plane. Right. And, like, and it, <laughs> that is a wild story. I mean, just just that in, in by itself, like yeah. all the different stories they told, even you take the D.B. Cooper stuff out of it. It's, it's a goddamn mm-hmm. amazing story. And it, it was just, I don't know. I, re- I really dug that. Some of these are very interesting because people are like, oh, well, he liked bourbon and he smoked a lot. He's D.B. Cooper. And I'm like, no. what? Uh, <laughs> you say in your intro, it's over 900. But I mean, after listening to a lot of your interviews, I would say it's well over that. I mean, Darren, how how many people do you think are are how how many people do you think we're up to at this point? I mean, you got to know. The according to FBI documents, they claim to have investigated over fifteen hundred suspects, and then confessions is an interesting one. So I've read anywhere between dozens of confessions and up to nine hundred and twenty two confessions which is a huge number and oddly specific Mm -hmm. but i mean is there another crime where you have a ton of people that have confessed to it no and that like they would want to take that like you would think like all right so if if you're lying to that like you would want to take that you know you'd want to say you're that person so obviously you want that like gratification to know but what would well, there was a suspect, John List, I think, and he murdered his family and disappeared uh, 15 days before, like, the hijacking and all that. And somehow he became, like, a D.B. Cooper suspect, which doesn't make any sense. Do it, it doesn't make much sense. I'm <laughs> working on an episode on John List right now, okay. and he confessed to, to the murder. He, yeah, he... <laughs> Murdered his whole family and then disappeared right around the same time as the hijacking and looks very Mm -hmm. similar to the initial sketch. The problem with him being D.B. Cooper, in my opinion, is, you know, he's caught 20 years later, thanks to America's Most Wanted, and then ends up giving a detailed confession of the murder of his family. And they ask him about D.B. Cooper. And he's like, no, I didn't do that. Yeah. So if you were going to confess to something, why not the one where you didn't yeah. hurt anyone yeah. and it's cool versus the one where you murdered your kids, your wife, and your mom? Yeah. I mean, it's very interesting because, like, some of the suspects on the list is like, come on now. <laughs> it's just But perplexing. I get asked about him a lot because he's on the Wikipedia page. Yes. And people are very interested in that. They think, oh, well, he was disappeared 15 days before the hijacking and all this. And it's like, okay, that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> He admitted to murdering his family. I'm pretty sure he would admit to jumping out of an airplane stealing money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I I got a few more things to ask you, Darren. Here, um, how long do you continue? Like, how do you get your your uh, your your guest? How, how, do you get these do these people come to you? Do you reach out to them? How does almost how does that work? All of them I've harassed until they've been willing to do the show. So like um, you... I got really lucky in the beginning with with Bruce Smith and Robert Blevins. Um, I just sent out an email like, "Hey guys, uh, I'm thinking about putting this podcast together. Would you be willing to participate in my show that doesn't exist yet?" <laughs> um, and I think you know the timing and everything worked out. 
And so they were like, yeah, you know, I'll talk to you. Well, you know, since then, I've just sort of made a name for myself in that community as someone who is fair and who isn't going to do some sort of like a gotcha interview or try and disprove their information. You know, I had Marla Cooper on the show and she doesn't do a lot anymore because I think she had a bad experience in the D.B. Cooper community with people sort of harassing her and saying that, you know, her story was bullshit and whatnot. So she's kind of disappeared from it. Um, but I was able to get her on my show mostly, I believe, because of my show. It's just mostly I just want to hear your story. And I think that's what she wanted to do is just have a place where she could tell her story. Yeah. One of the um, one of the the big reasons why I really dig your show is you allow people to talk. Um you hear so much in podcasts when they're talking to people, you know, the interviewers don't allow the the guests to, just to speak, right? So, like, um, Greg Carwood is a perfect example of it. He lets, he'll talk to anybody, and he just lets them talk. He'll ask some questions here or there, but, you know, he lets them speak. And I feel like you do the same thing. Like, you're not going to sit in front of, you know, these people and tell them if they're right or wrong or whatever. You're going to listen to them, and you're going to let them tell their story. And you have become the the person in the D.B. Cooper world now that is like you're like the guy now that's going to carry this on to the next generation. You know, like it feels like that way. You know, I just found you because I listened to Greg Carwood and I was like, cool, a D.B. Cooper show. And I checked it out. And that's when I messaged you because what I realized quick was that you were the guy now that everybody was going to to get this stuff documented, recorded. That way, it, there there is a digital record of it, it for the future, you know? Yeah, thanks, Michael. I appreciate that. You know, I don't think anyone's real interested to hear what I have to say. So when I'm talking to these people, I want to hear what they have to say. And I'm sure my guest is also. You know, and selfishly, I kind of created this show just to talk to these people. I really wanted to hear Bruce Smith talk. When I was looking for D.B. Cooper podcasts, they were all the same. It was, you know, you had three different hosts talking about the case. They would go over the hijacking for 20 minutes. Then they would spend 10 minutes discussing three different suspects. And then they'd spend five minutes deciding which of the suspects was most likely. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't into that at all. I actually had researched the case quite a bit and was fascinated by it. And it just didn't cut it for me. I wanted to hear from the celebrities, quote unquote, and experts and, and authors in the case. Yeah. And like, I, I, I love the format. Like, like, like I said, you sit there, you let the people talk, you know, you listen to their stories because it is their stories. Mm -hmm. I mean, rather, if they're telling the truth or not, it's their story. And, you, you know, you, you let them get them out. And you let people judge to, for themselves, whether they believe it or don't, or whether they think it's right or wrong, or whatever the case may may be. But the one thing that we do need is we need constant conversations, and you have done a great job with that, man. Like seriously, um, I was just listening to a couple of your episodes today while I was sitting. I was, I'm in the retro gaming, so I'm sitting there playing Super Nintendo, Castlevania Four, and I'm like playing. I got your podcast on in my ear. I'm like, yeah, it's a pretty good day. <laughs> I do have a question. That sounds like a great day. <laughs> it was good. Because you're really involved in this case, what do you think about the D.B. Cooper letters? I don't know what to think about the D.B. Cooper letters. I think... I think they're fake. 
I think they're most likely fake, and I think three out of four of them are signed DB Cooper. Yes, which is incorrect. Yeah, yeah. and so I, I don't put a lot of weight into those. And Doug Perry went into, uh, you know, the Rackstraw crew said they had decoded one of the numbers at the yeah. bottom of it into Rackstraw's unit. Uh, but then Doug Perry sent it out to a bunch of, like, mathematicians and professional decoders for lack of a better term. And they're like, you know, you could turn this into whatever message exactly. you want it to be. That's just a big thing I hear because then people are like, oh, maybe he's the Zodiac killer. And then I'm like, oh, geez, Louise. Well, you know, Ted Cruz <laughs> is the Zodiac killer. I just, apparently. I never, because th- like the way that, <laughs> that the letters were sent, it's like, hey, jackass, I'm still alive, you know? And it's like, that's not, yeah, Dan, I don't, that's I don't not feel Dan like, Cooper at all. I don't feel like the guy who did this would have <laughs> took the time out to do that kind of thing. Like, I feel like he's yeah. not that deep. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I feel like this is a guy who did what he did because he knew he could do it. Mm-hmm. He knew he can get away with it. Um, you know, and after that, I you know, it's 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 really hard to say what. Man, could you imagine if it was you and you were just at a bar one night and you're sitting there and just like the, you know, you hear these stories, Darren, and you know, throwing out one of those stories, yeah, 1971, there I was. You know what I mean? Could you imagine? Well, I that? also find it interesting that I think three of the main suspects are from New Jersey, which is right in our neck of the woods. Is that true? I don't yeah, know. William yeah. Smith is New Jersey. John List is New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And uh, oh, there's a third one. But yeah, they're from Jersey. And we, we're from Delaware. So it's very interesting. So honestly, you could Jersey, wander huh? into a VFW and just just, just outside of Washington. <laughs> I mean, so it's right there. Yeah. What if D.B. Cooper was Abe Lincoln? <laughs> it's a joke. That would be pretty awesome. Wait, <laughs> is Empire it? Hunter Hold on, wait. One of the Cooper? suspects. Yeah. One of the one of the suspects didn't he say that he was like the chauffeur his or his father was the chauffeur to Abraham Lincoln or something? That sounds really familiar. Yeah, I can't remember what. I what don't. The I, all right, was. so I don't know if that's true. But Darren, I was looking up uh, some videos and stuff. I was on YouTube and I just searched the the Cooper Vortex and I came up across this video and I, this has nothing to do with anything other than Abraham Lincoln. But I just figured I'd say this: there was an interview with a guy who was. The last living witness that, or the yeah, the last living witness to the death of Abraham Lincoln, really? and he was given his story, and it was pretty goddamn See, cool. I love Abraham Lincoln. That's another one, yeah. like John Wilkes Booth, D.B. Cooper, and then I think the Titanic thing. Those three, I just I can't get over. <laughs> so I, I thought that was pretty cool. But yeah, uh, so there was one suspect. <laughs> I remember he had like an Abe Lincoln connection i can't remember who it was though at this moment but yeah so who knows darren how long how long that does sound really familiar how long do you think uh the cooper vortex (laughs) podcast will go on i mean is this something you you plan on doing until you're done is this something you have an end to or what what's your i have been telling myself that i would be done with the show at the end of this year um because you know part of me is kind of tired of it Mm -hmm. uh in one way or another you know I've taken phone calls from people who are, you know, crazy. And at times it's just like, what am I doing with my life when I'm just standing in my yard? You know, I interrupted from yard work while some guy rambles about the connections to the JFK assassination. (laughs) Uh, And it's just like, why am I doing this to myself? But I I enjoy doing it. And so uh, Russell and I, Russell Colbert, who puts the show together, yeah, we decided to continue doing it for another year. There, are, there's a bunch of episodes and suspects 
awesome. that I just haven't covered yet. And some people I've been working on getting on the show who are just constantly like, I'm about to do it. You know, I'm going to do it. I just have to do a few more things or solve a few more things with the case. So I have like 20 guests that I, I really want to get on the show. So we'll be doing it for a while longer for sure. Good man. Because I, I, I've, like I said, I, I really dig it. I subscribe to it. Um, I'm, I'm really feeling what you're doing. What do you so got? Jack Kofelt was the guy I'm talking about. Um, he claimed to have been the, sh- the chauffeur and confidant of Abraham Lincoln's last undisputed descendant, grand, great grandson, Robert Todd Lincoln Beckwill. So that's the, I just wanted to put that out there. <laughs> Because there is a Jack Hofelt, that's right. Okay. Yes, there is a connection to Abraham Lincoln, which I love. Okay. Abraham Lincoln is like, oh my God, I can't. I love him. My oldest daughter told me the other day that when she was younger, she had a massive crush on Abraham Lincoln. I just love the whole story. <laughs> don't guys, because I don't, cause I don't think John Wilkes Booth was burned in that barn. Okay. Um. <laughs> so it sounds like you. It sounds like you got a ton more of stuff to get. Um. To, uh, a ton more people to talk to, which is pretty damn cool. Um, do you feel like your, your perspective on this case is going to change at all? Do you feel, do you feel like it could possibly, you know, um, my wife has been listening to, uh, what's that show called culpable or something. And, uh, Payne Lindsay is the guy's name and he's this true crime guy who got involved in this case and he spent like a year involved in it and end up solving the fucking crime. Mm -hmm. Darren, what if you're the guy that solves the DB Cooper crime? There's that show serial. How do you feel about that, Darren? I would love it if I was the one who ended up solving this crime. Uh, I think it'd be great for the show, but <laughs> I, I'm not sure. You know, I think part of the reason that this story is so interesting is that it's unsolved. Yes. I mean, he has gotten away with it for 48 years now, so that is still pretty incredible. But if we do find out the official story tomorrow, let's say, and we're like, oh, yeah, you know, it was Billy Bob Smith and case closed. I think it takes a lot of the interest out of it. You know, you might have that peak, like the the Golden State Killer story. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was this unsolved thing, and then there, it became resolved, and so you have this peak interest in the case. But then, the, I mean, that dies out. Everyone knows exactly what happened and how it's played out. And that was so. So I'm anti- not sure. We've covered that in the show a little bit. You know, is this case better left unsolved than solved? And and I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, I would I, like part of me, just like you said, would love to be like, you know, like you'd love some ending to it. But then another part of me is like, well, that's what made this case. So, like I said, on Unsolved Mysteries, when I was a kid, that's mm-hmm. what made this case so appealing was I remember the visuals of this guy jumping out of yeah. the plane, you know, and it were like never to be heard from again. Yeah. You know, right in that Jumped Robert Stack voice, you know, <laughs> and you were like lightning crash, thunderstrike, yeah. you know, and you were like fucking hey, this dude was a fucking I rock mean, star. Even without the whole db cooper thing i mean like there's so many other variables to this story i mean when you take like mucklow uh the tina like she became a nun and like all this weird yeah that's shit. some strange stuff darren I mean, like, what how did you like when you hear all that stuff how did you feel like she goes into like a convent and mm-hmm. all this stuff and spends all like i mean if this is somebody that's going to claim or not claim because i don't think she ever claimed that but she, she was... spent the most time with db cooper yeah Absolutely. Yeah. Her life does get a little, I don't want to use the term suspicious, but it becomes very interesting Mm -hmm. after the hijacking. And one of the things about this case is that there are a lot of people who refuse to talk about it. 
And I think that just adds another level in, of intrigue to yeah. it. Exactly. You know, um, there are a bunch of different suspects where I've reached out to family members and not even like I want to bother them about it, but it's like, hey, like the Klansnick family specifically, where it's like, hey, I'm interested to know what it's like to have your deceased relative accused mm -hmm. of this crime publicly. Uh, and William Smith and Joe Lackich, I've reached out to all of those family members like, hey, your fam your deceased family member has been accused of this crime in a very public way. What are your thoughts about that? And it's just no response. Mm. And I'm not sure if that's like their method of dealing with it or if it's because they want to kind of enjoy the idea that you know, their, their grandpa or their father got away with it, but it just kind of adds more suspicion to the case. There are mm -hmm. so many people who refuse to talk about it where it's like, they could just say, yeah, you know, in 71, we were having Thanksgiving dinner. This accusation is nonsense. Leave us yeah. the fuck alone. Because <laughs> mm -hmm. no response just makes it more mysterious. I forget which one, but one of the suspects was in Vegas at the time. Richard Floyd McCoy. There we go. He was in Vegas. So, I mean, like, it's just one of those things that's like, and then when you read the, the documents released, oh, you know, on the, on the vault website, you know, you, you start developing your own description of what this person is. And like that whole thing I said with the script and stuff like that, the way that they described that person makes me think that that person might have been DB Cooper. Yeah. Uh, I just saw it was described as a, a medium to olive build too, mm -hmm. which is very suspicious. Uh, With low ears. <laughs> you know, I was just sitting here thinking about something like, um, you know, like earlier we we're talking about the bumbling, you know, uh, suspect. I, you know, I find that hard to believe because this is a person. It just dawned like I'm just sitting here thinking to myself. This is a person who knew that it was the day before Thanksgiving, so he knew government was entirely running on a probably a skeleton yeah, crew. Yeah, skeleton crew. You know, um, it's somebody put some thought into this. This isn't somebody that just willy nilly goes into this and and does this. Yeah, like I feel like this is somebody who seriously put some time into this. Like had to. I tend to agree with that. I mean, there was almost no moon that night. He had the super long weekend. And like you were saying, it's mm -hmm. a holiday weekend, so whoever was working, it would be the B team mm -hmm. who was taking care of this. Uh, he had a long time to escape. He wouldn't have had if he was employed. He wouldn't have had to go back to work till Monday. Mm -hmm. so, and he had more knowledge of the plane than the pilots did. And that's the crazy so, thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so when you think about that, you think this guy knew more than the pilots, right? So that I mean, that alone should tell you something, right there. Like, yeah. this isn't a stupid person. I mean, this is somebody who's more well educated on that plane than the person that is responsible for like, that plane. I feel like the decisions he made to make himself look naive. Like choosing the parachute that he did. Like they all say, oh, he chose the dummy parachute. Like, I feel like that might have been intentional. I don't know about the dummy parachute thing. I mean, I've heard it speculated that he, you know, potentially threw the guts essentially of that parachute away and used that to store some of the money. I'm not sure what to think of the choice of the dummy chute. You know, I've heard people say he should have chose the sport parachute. Mm -hmm. But I, I just had a guest on recently, Mark Melter, who will be the next episode. And he said, you know, you wouldn't have wanted to choose a sport chute for a few different reasons because 
he's not sure if it could have even handled opening at that speed. And then also the sport parachute, you land with forward momentum. And if you're landing in unfamiliar terrain, and especially in the woods, that parachute would have put you at 20 to 30 miles an hour Mm. with forward momentum while you're in the air. And you don't want to hit a tree at 25 miles an hour. No. This is somebody who knew the parachute that they wanted to use and who had time with that parachute. I mean, and Dan Cooper... They say that he knew the terrain when he talked to the pilot and stuff. He, you know, he gave estimate estimates of like, oh, well, that's only a twenty minute drive from here to there to that base to Tacoma, you know. So he was aware of his surroundings. Do you think the money that washed up on Tina Barr was the money that quote DB Cooper handed to Tina Mucklow? Do you think that could have been it? I don't think it was the money he handed to her because she said she didn't. She didn't take that back. Could it have been representative of that money? Who knows? I mean, the fact that it's on Tina Barr and he tried to hand it to Tina Mucklow. Right. Maybe that's another kind of inside joke because... from his angle, like the Dan Cooper name. But I you know I think it's most likely a plant, in my opinion, the money being put there. I don't see any other way for it to get there. Yeah, like but no one knows. Yeah, that, like I was sitting there, I was like, all right, so what if what if he hands her this money, right? She says, I don't want it. And apparently he just let it like fall to the floor. He jumps out of the plane. The well, money could have blew out. Well, that's why yeah. Walter Recca, they say that um, the, the person that Cowboy gave the directions to, he paid him with that money mm-hmm. and that he buried it and I guess never came back. <laughs> yeah. Like, it was an accomplice. Like, oh, here's your money. And then he was like, I don't know about this. You're all over the news. Darren, do you think there was more than one person involved in this story? It very well could be. I've heard that speculated also, you know, that there were a bunch of people involved in it. I was talking to Bruce recently about the end of the book, Skyjack. You know, Jeffrey Gray is contacted by this anonymous person. I can't remember if his anonymous name was Jack or if it was John. But he said that he was given a furlough out of jail to be involved in some sort of operation where he just had to park in the middle of the woods in a car provided by the government and wait for someone to come knock on the window and give them a ride. See, no one ever came came to knock on the window and he was released from jail. And Jeffrey Gray looked into the story and his sentence was mysteriously sort of shortened and released after this so i just so have... i don't know if there was a big team of people involved or if there were other things going on you know was walter Recca potentially involved in some way or another and jumped out of a different plane in a different location i've heard it speculated a lot but so, i'm not sure about it so one of the things that i i dived into here was the fact that okay so in 72 they started implementing this the i'm going to search you before you get on the plane thing so you remember how the Patriot Act, Patriot Act got started? Mm-hmm. They would find ways to to manipulate the law. So some, so there was a, on this one weird website I was on said that it was a way just to manipulate America and like just have them be able to check your bags, like search them. Well, what I'm what I'm sitting here thinking to myself is what if, what if this was just just a, a government psyop, like mm-hmm. exactly that? Let's see how people would react. If we put somebody on a plane now, now I know that he was able to keep this secret from the passengers until they got off the plane. Yes. 
So I feel like the, if it was a psyop, that would take the psyop part out of it. But then you would, if you you could see how people would react to the after the effects. But then I don't know what that would prove. But it could be a whole experiment on witness testimony as well, because yeah, witness but- testimony has always been, you know, completely. People are weird about that. They they say, oh, it's a it's conclusive. Other people say, oh, well, it's very shrouded. Like people don't really know. They recollect things that aren't really true. Right. But to me, if you're going to do this like as like a, you know, just to see how people re- would react, you'd almost let them know while they're on the plane. Or right? to pass a law is what, what someone said. Well, you could. You could do that. I mean, something like this could have been created to pass a law, but it just seems like a big roundabout way to pass a law. Well, because at that time there were so many hijackings. I don't know. Was there? Yes. Yeah, there was a lot of hijackings. And, you know, from that sort of false flag narrative to change air traffic, mm-hmm. not not air traffic, I'm sorry, air security, I interviewed uh, Matt Lamadou about it, and he was talking about how this dude, Najib Halabi, was meeting with Nixon hours before the hijacking and then went on this campaign around the world to sell airport security. Exactly. See what I mean, Darren? You're the goddamn encyclopedia. I just said it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know the names, but I'm just saying, like, that's one of the things that people said because in 73, so, it started implementing. How do you feel about that, Ben? Do you, do, you, do you think there's any any truth to that? Do you think that could be? Do you think DB could be like, damn it, boy, I got you. You know, you know, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know, <laughs> Operation. Well, he was never DB. He was Dan. Yeah, I know that. But the media, yeah. But it doesn't matter. Do you do you, do you think that like have you ever sat back and said maybe this was just a government way of creating air traffic control security? Oh, I've definitely thought about mm-hmm. that. And even weirdly, if you Google Najib Halabi and look at, I think it's his Wikipedia page, the picture of Najib Halabi looks eerily similar. To Dan Cooper. Now we know Najib Halabi couldn't have done it because he couldn't have got to Portland in you know an hour and a half after meeting with Nixon. Yeah. But it's just another one of those things where like, God damn, that is so fascinating. Because I I didn't know who Najib Halabi was when I first heard this theory, mm-hmm. and so I look him up and I'm like, holy shit, he looks exactly like the sketch. Are you looking him up? But the sketch is another thing where there are two sketches. Mm-hmm. Of D.B. Cooper. There is. And, you know, one's kind of referred to as Bing Crosby and one's kind of referred to as the Cary Grant sketch. And they look pretty different. They do. So you can kind of make your suspect match the one sketch that you like. And I think the FBI did themselves a huge disservice in producing a second sketch. You know, maybe they thought the first sketch wasn't that great. And so we need to update it and do a a more accurate one, which is kind of their story. But then you have the public seeing these two sketches, and I I don't think that's a great idea. He does look a lot, but you know. But then again, didn't ever like not every. I would say a majority of men during that time kind of had the same look, right? Well, no, it's a certain feature. So like the ears and like the olive tone skin, brown eyes. It's certain features, and like so they say that DB Cooper was actually left-handed. So that's be- speculated. I don't think there's any real proof well, that he was left-handed. So they say because of the way that he, when he left his tie or whatever, that the clip was put on it, it seemed like he was left-handed. Okay. 
So technically, I put on my belt like somebody would a left hander, but that so doesn't I think mean that, I'm left hand. I think that out of like only like all the witnesses, I mean all the suspects, only like two of them are left handed. So you can't really use that. But I'm just saying like there's certain characteristics that they that they use to distinguish who this person is. Uh, yeah, and one of the things I I hate hearing people argue about is when they're like you know like Ted Braden for example. I believe Ted Braden's only like five foot eight, and you know, DB Cooper has put it like, you know, five ten to six foot. Mm-hmm. Have you ever looked at someone who was three rows behind you in a plane and try and guess their height? No, It'd be impossible. Never. It'd be impossible. It'd be impossible. So I hate it when people are like, Oh, well that dude is only five eight and that dude is six foot one. He couldn't yeah. be D B Cooper. No, you're not gonna Once you get height past is five five, you're six foot to me. <laughs> Wow, there's a lot of six footers in, in 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 your world. I mean, I'm just saying, like, I'm only five four. So if you're like five five, I'm gonna say, okay, well, you're like six foot to me. It's all about perception. I mean, if I have to look up at you, uh, looking at that picture of how do you say his name? Naib. Najib Halabi. He looks very large, like tall and muscular. So. I think he is pretty tall. Like, do you, and, and, you know, like I said, he, there's no way he's DB Cooper because he was meeting with Nixon just shortly yes. before yeah. the he, hijacking. He but, feel even and even if you're gonna say that, he feels like a guy who's too big to be. Like, I feel like this. But it's all about that false flag. It is, but Tina Mucklow, who said who was next to him for all this time, I mean, she doesn't ever say he's as massive as Tim Robbins looking dude there, <laughs> or Tony Robbins, whatever Tony that guy's <laughs> name is. Um, I mean. What what size does she say that this guy is? Uh, DB Cooper's height, I believe, in the various reports, it's five five ten to six foot. Yeah, is right. what was what she put him at. So slightly above average height, I would say. Yeah, man, that could be a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> that's just, that's right, the so, crazy part. So here's the question. Here's the main question I have for you. Do you think Dan Cooper? survived the jump i do think he survived the jump i would say i'm 97 percent sure that 97. he survived the jump and what i'd base that on is marty andrade's book finding db cooper which i'd highly recommend uh it does a great job proving that the jump was survivable he compares it to these world war ii ejections where you had pilots and crew whose planes were shot down and they're bailing under similar or worse conditions than Dan Cooper jumped from. And these dudes had maybe one practice jump and a lot of them only had classroom training on jumping out of an airplane. And their survivability rate was over 90%. So I don't really question that he could have survived that jump. And I think the evidence on Tina Barr kind of points to the fact that he survived and also the fact that there was no body, there was no briefcase bomb found, there was no stash of money found in the woods. That area is traveled by hunters very thoroughly. And I think that something would have been found if he didn't survive the jump. And I don't, I don't think it's possible he was in no pull at all. You know, talking to Mark Metzler, he said he most likely would have pulled while standing on the rear staircase. And if he did that, then the odds of him being a no pull are pretty much zero. And then the odds of him 
jumping and free falling for just a few seconds because again he doesn't know where the ground is below him you know he instructed them to fly at 10,000 feet but he's not sure if the ground below him is at 3,500 feet or if it's at 1,800 feet so he can't play the free fall game especially with crowd with cloud cover yeah so I, I think he pulled his shoot and if he pulls his shoot and doesn't survive he would have been found very quickly i agree and you're you're in an found. area up there where there's like just like you said i'm a hunter Can there's a lot be. of people that travel they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna notice something they're gonna find something rather it be you know the briefcase bomb rather it be you know a, a a large parachute. I mean, these things aren't little tiny things. You know what I mean? I mean, you the would, only thing found from the search evidence. later was um, the corpse of a teenager who had been abducted and murdered. Yes. That was the only skeleton that was ever found. <laughs> yeah. I mean... <laughs> so, I, yeah, I totally think that this was somebody who jumped out of the plane and survived. Now, what they went and did from that point on, that's, you know... That's the 922 plus accounts that that you're interviewing, which I find pretty damn amazing. Yeah, I love this case. I this is like my favorite case. So, and I think that the mystery is what adds to it. So I don't know if I ever want it to be solved. Do you think it ever will be solved, Darren? I don't know. I, I think I know Bruce possibly, Smith. Seems you to know, think maybe we are still waiting for that one family member who has a parachute and a stack of 20s in their attic <laughs> to come forward. You know, maybe there is a 93-year-old guy out there somewhere who is what? still waiting for his deathbed confession. What would it take? I, I hope that he's listening to my show and, and finding it hilarious. But what, what I, do you think it would take to prove? Like somebody comes out on, on their deathbed and they say it was me. What do you think you would need? Do you need a stack of those 20s? I mean, that has the numbers on them. I would need the original, like, note that he gave the stewardess, because he took that back. Yeah, he took his notes back. You need some sort of evidence to prove your story at this point in time. Yeah. A not... confession is really not worth anything, right. because we have at least dozens yeah. of confessions. So you would need, and yeah, you would need one of those you notes. You need a parachute. You need a couple of those 20s, the notes, like mm -hmm. you were saying, uh, the briefcase bomb. If he had his ticket stub, that would be pretty incredible. Yeah, that would be the lock and key. Right What's going to happen is it's it's going to be like years from now, and they're going to be clearing out some goddamn storage room. Yeah, and they're going to come across tale. a briefcase, and they're going to pop it open. And there's going to be a damn parachute, <laughs> fucking well, notes. There, there you was know, um two hundred thousand dollars in cash because the guy never fucking spent it because he was probably scared shitless too. Yeah. Like you know what I mean? Like I. I, just, I mean, but you can spend money on the black market. Just I don't think it was impossible for him to spend no. the money at all. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I mean, I don't in think... 1971, their right. banks didn't have computers. No. Mm -hmm. And computers were basically a joke by today's standards, and hardly anyone had ever used one. So the FBI distributed a physical list yeah, of 10,000 non-sequential serial numbers to banks and casinos. Nobody mm -hmm. cared. And you were that. supposed to... Let's say you're a bank teller. You get a guy who comes in with three $20 bills. Are you going to compare those three $20 bills to a list of 10,000 non-sequential serial numbers? Anybody outside How? of the story range isn't even yeah. going to even think to well, do that. Well, that's what I also find interesting. He asks for small bills. It's because people don't check small bills as often as they do big bills. Yeah, and I mean, even the... 
when the when banks and casinos couldn't find anything, a bunch of newspapers printed the full list of serial numbers mm-hmm. and offered a reward. I believe Seattle uh, Post Intelligencer offered five thousand dollars, and I think the Oregonian offered a thousand dollars. If you could produce one of those bills, and no one was able to do it, but, but I mean, I, I think the money could have been spent outside of the United States easily yes. with no trace. I think you could have spent the money in small increments and and never been caught. Yeah, so I think, I think you, t- you you totally could have did things like you know, uh, I don't know, paid your bills and bought a car probably, and nobody would ever question it. I mean, back then, like, if you I don't think someone so. cash. That was gold. <laughs> it's just there was I mean, there wasn't many very there wasn't many options for payment. You know, I mean, like when you really think about it, maybe so, he bought a bunch of cocaine. Wouldn't that be awesome if he? If it turns out <laughs> DB Cooper, like when he landed, just went to like Vegas, got a bunch of cocaine <laughs> and strippers, and just like spent it all that week with the guys. flying spaghetti monster. <laughs> I mean, I love this story because there's so many variables to it. I mean, and fun fact, uh, the guy who who uh, provided the parachutes was actually murdered in 2013. Yeah, and that story is still unsolved. Yeah. Right. No and one I, knows who murdered him. Yeah. yeah and he was bludgeoned. bludgeoned in the back of the head. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the guy didn't take his wallet. He was murdered in his garage and the garage door was open. Nothing was taken from the garage. Mm-hmm. So someone just came involved? up and beat him to death with a pipe or something. Yeah. And then didn't even bother to take anything. I mean, it's very interesting, this so, whole story. So think about that for a second. Why would that happen, right? Like, let's just say, maybe the I guy mean, is like, of, I mean, maybe the guy's like, you know what? I'm spilling the beans in the D.B. Cooper case. Or You're between like, 71 and 2013, he just was a dickhead. Could have been. Um, <laughs> I mean, one of the suspects. kind of had a reputation for that. Yeah, one of the suspects, right? Uh, he had like a flying license for 26 years without, or, or no, he flew planes for 26 years without having a flying license. And got charged with like thirteen counts of manslaughter. Uh, Mayfield, Ted yes. Mayfield, right? Yes. Yeah, he was flying without a pilot's license. He was running a, a parachute drop zone. Yes. <laughs> and then got charged with a bunch of counts of manslaughter because the guy who it may have been him. I apologize if my details are a little shaky on this, but he was packing these parachutes improperly and like doing a shit job, and a couple of people. Uh, died at his drop zone yes. because of improperly packed parachutes. So there was about 15 um, negligent homicides that he was involved in. Is that the guy who had the bodies buried like throughout no. the ground there? No. no. Okay. No. I heard something. So actually his story was interesting because he was at, so he actually said that he was conned to say that he was D.B. Cooper later on. By who? By two reporters. Um Denise Dev, I, I'm suck at pronouncing. Here, can you look at that? And Matthew Myers, Nathan Myers, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, there's actually a, a handful of people who had confessed to it, and then when the FBI shows up, like, "Hey, bro, I heard you can mm-hmm. you confess to being DB Cooper," then they're quickly like, "Uh, no, I actually said that I wasn't." Yeah, they're like, like "Nah, Barbara nah." Dayton. I was playing. I was like playing. Like Barbara Dayton. Yeah. I, I, I don't think the FBI actually looked into Barb Dayton. I could be wrong about that. But uh, when she found out the statute of limitations 
didn't expire because of that John Doe indictment. Mm-hmm. Then she did say, oh, by the way, uh, I didn't do it. Yeah. And even now, like, even though um, the FBI, you know, um, technically, they, like, if somebody shows up and they have proof, they could have still arrested this person. Yeah. Correct? They suspended all active investigations, but they still accept, like. But it's still an the, ongoing yes, case, right? Yes, it's still, like, an ongoing case. It's a cold case. Yes, it is still an unsolved case. And there was that John Doe indictment. So John Doe has been convicted of the crime of air piracy. And so they're just waiting to fill in that John Doe name. However, um, my next episode, again, with Mark Metzler, who happens to be a lawyer, he was talking about the fact that he doesn't believe this case is prosecutable at all at this point in time because the cigarette butts have been destroyed. Mm -hmm. So that's exculpatory evidence. So it could be used to prove that it wasn't your suspect or it wasn't your Mm. client. And so there's he doesn't believe there's a way that it could be prosecuted today. Also, That's... I read that because the money was never found or never spent, that that would be another hard way to prosecute. Well, we don't know. I mean, that's what I read. I'm just saying. So I mean, yeah, I mean, the guy could have bought weed with the right, money unless every they have a bunch of those bills in hand. Exactly, unless you know they have a bunch of receipts. So I mean, I don't, I, I don't know. There's a lot of variables in this case. Again, we're talking about a cultural context. What if the guy's whole goal in this whole thing was like, if I get $200,000, I can buy $200 in weed a week for the rest of my life and never get caught? <laughs> Is Snoop Dogg well, a dealer? Dave Snyder, who ended up buying a drop zone, uh, a sport parachutist guy, who bought a drop zone for exactly $200,000 mm-hmm. just shortly after the hijacking. And other people had speculated that it was him. Huh. Yeah. I mean, well, one of the things, uh, one of the main uh, suspects was uh, Kenneth Christensen. But then if you look at his, like, they said that he bought his house with cash. That's who Darren originally thought, right? Yes, but they said later on you found out that he actually had a mortgage for 17 years. And, like, it was just, it was a lot of circumstance or evidence. Like, you feel (laughs) like you could trace the money, but yet you kind of can't trace the money because the money doesn't want to be traced. Like, does that make sense? Like, I think that it's underneath some hardwood hardwood floor in some old house just waiting to be uplifted <laughs> darren darren do you think yeah, they actually examined kenny christensen's house to see if they could find like some hidden compartment oh i, I, I want to say it was like uh expedition unknown or one of those shows who claimed to have found something like that in his home but the kenny christensen and robert rackstraw more people believe it's one of those two dudes than anyone else. I believe because of Robert Blevins and Tom Colbert. Blevins is pushing Kenny Christensen and Colbert is pushing Rackstraw. Mm-hmm. Both of them have been relentless about getting media attention for yeah. their suspect. And so more people are sort of introduced to the case mm-hmm. through one of those two suspects. That is true. So that's why those guys tend to tend to get the most attention, even though the people who have researched the case the most, those are like the last yeah, two. Yeah, the last. Have you list. reached out to Rackstraw? <laughs> I have reached out to Colbert, and uh, unfortunately he hasn't responded to me, which uh, I find kind of baffling since he seems to be wanting all sorts of media attention. What's his email? I'll email him. <laughs> I'll, I'll give it to you after the show. All right, um, send it. I'll what, get him on the show. That would be a pretty kick-ass... Uh, 
episode if you, if that would ever happen. But um, there's there's other people who were in that camp that I could interview. Right. Um, I did an episode with Nikki Broughton, who's actually become like a real close friend of mine. He was essentially blackmailed into investigating Rackstraw um, because he was Rackstraw's weed dealer. <laughs> See, it all yeah. goes back to weed. There's dang. a lot of variables. I knew it. <laughs> it's all about buying weed for the rest of your life. Uh, it was a stoner's dream. Yep. So I think that he did survive. I think that either he died within the last five years or he's about to die in the la- in the next year and a half. I think that he definitely did survive, though. <laughs> I think he could have survived. Um, I would hope that he's. They would have found something. Like what was that? Uh, there, there was like uh, researchers who found. They said they found like a foam pad that might belong to DB Cooper. Yeah, there are two kind of parachute finds. I guess you could call them in the area. One was referred to as the Amboy shoot, that was found in kind of. I guess we'll call it a junkyard, but it was where just a bunch of farm equipment was parked. Uh, some kids discovered it, and it was dug up. And the FBI actually took that pretty seriously for a while, but it was discovered it was a, a massive cargo chute. So it was for something, you know, like if you see those old World War, World War II footage of like Jeeps being dropped out of planes mm-hmm. and whatnot, it was a parachute for that kind of a thing. And then there was the foam pad and sort of container bag that was found in La Center that had been attributed to Rackstraw as part of that Rackstraw investigation. But I don't know if anything has ever really come of that. Yeah, I talked to the people who found it and there was a bunch of interest in it, but then all of a sudden no one was interested in it and no one would talk to them about it. And they were sort of just left wondering, like, we just want to know, like, is this involving db cooper or not but nobody will talk to us about it anymore hmm that's very interesting a couple more things and then we'll let you go darren um so you already said like you you don't you do or you don't think this case will be solved you don't but you do is that what kind of how you feel about it i honestly don't know michael i'm not sure if it'll be solved or not and i I hope that it will be solved, and I hope that it won't be solved. I would right. love to know exactly yeah. what happened. Yeah. But I also like that it's unsolved, that this guy got away with it. Yeah, so cool. n- no matter what happens, really, I- I'm happy with it. Cool. I mean, it's led to some great conversations and great stories. So, I mean, you can't – This it's so weird because like I would just like to know if he survived. That's it. If he survived the jump. <laughs> Well, well, I'll I'll tell you, Gidget, he survived the jump. Well, I personally think that he did. <laughs> I really do because there's just way too many variables, and you would have found something. But I just I want proof that he survived the jump, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I agree. Oh yeah, that definitely makes sense. Because everyone's like, "Oh, he died," and I'm like, "No, he didn't." <laughs> you know, the FBI says when even when they suspended their investigation that they believe he likely died in the jump, but. In my opinion, it that's they're just saying that because they don't want to have to say, well, it looks like this guy got away with yeah. it. We yeah. can't well, find him. We don't him. know. So. I think there was a lot of that, like, let's just say face kind of thing going on. Like, mm-hmm. and you know, it's funny because uh, 
it was at a time where, you know, these these agencies didn't really talk to each other. So it was a lot of, you know, everybody wanted to solve their own cases mm-hmm. and didn't really want to communicate with one agency to another. So, I mean, that kind of plays in the part of this um, to, I guess, to a little bit of extent, you know, um, I don't know how much it, it would have. But definitely, I know at the time, you know, like the FBI and the CIA weren't like the best friends, so no. they wouldn't have talked I to mean, each yeah. other. I'm yeah, sure- and both agencies... I mean, in the in the '60s, especially late '60s and early '70s, the CIA and the FBI were both doing some shady stuff. Yeah. Right. So it's not outside the realm of possibility that they there could be some involvement there. How do you feel about remote viewing this? Remote viewing—that's a great question. <laughs> uh, Bruce Smith is a proponent of remote viewing and has even told me there are professional remote viewers. Mm-hmm. I don't know that there has been any sort of case where remote viewing has solved it. Uh, I think if remote viewing was a real legitimate tool, it would be used all over the place. So, But who's to say it isn't? Well, we don't know. But I will say this. Um, I did look up some information on remote viewing the D.B. Cooper story. And the only thing that I could find on anybody, even remotely kind of even jumping into the idea of remote viewing, it actually was Clyde Lewis on some grainy ass YouTube video that I found where he was talking to some guy talking about remote viewing um, the D.B. Cooper case. And I thought to myself, that's an interesting thing. Like, like you said, if there are people out there who claim that they could do this, you know, the Edgar Mitchells and stuff mm-hmm. like like that. You know, why not let them try it out and see where we can get? But yet you never hear anybody claiming that they've remote viewed it with any kind of answer. It's kind of strange. I mean, if remote viewing works, then it could be used to solve every single case. Um, can it be used to predict the future? It should be able to solve everything. Right. And 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 that's the part of it that's that's, you know, like, all right, so you don't know who's telling the truth and who's not. Or... You don't really know what it is, but if if somebody says that they could do, like if they could remove you, yeah, I would like to see somebody actually physically sit down who knows nothing about the D.B. Cooper mm-hmm. case, which might be kind of hard to find somebody who knows nothing. Oh, I know. A lot of people and, that know nothing because I said I would have to But I'm talking about remote <laughs> viewers who know nothing and have them remote view some random topic. It would That would be an interesting take to see what kind of names or something that they could come back with, but I think it would be very hard find a remote viewer with virtually no interest or any kind of knowledge of the topic. I think yeah, and I'd definitely be willing to listen. You know, I find woo-woo stuff absolutely entertaining. So whether or not it's legitimate, I'm definitely down to listen. Mm-hmm. Hell, I'd be down to turn on my uh, ghost, ghost portal box, box over there and seeing <laughs> if, if D.B. Cooper's dead, maybe he'll come through the ghost box. He's going to come back. He's going to be like, please. Wouldn't it be crazy if I got some crazy America. ass name? Yeah. We're going to just see what happens. Um, Dan, I just want to thank you, man, for giving us your time yes, tonight. thank you. That was pretty awesome. This um, case is very heartfelt to me, so. And I want to uh, thank you for what you've done with the Cooper Vortex. I'm really enjoying the all the different stories that I'm getting able to hear and deep dives. Some of your episodes are like an hour long. Some of them are pushing three hours. It's kind of cool that you have all these different stories and Keep doing it, man, because I, I, I tell you, just when you think you're done with the topic, you, you kind of get some more information and you've become that guy that's pushing all that information in one local place. And it's pretty awesome. 
Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Yes, I enjoyed our conversation. You have to check out the thing that I sent you and send me the email for the one guy you want on your show because I'll get him on your show. Yeah, <laughs> I actually got an email from someone just yesterday. Have you guys ever heard of the Forest Fen treasure? No. I got, I got this email. Apparently, there's some eccentric treasure collector who hid a treasure in the Rocky Mountains, and there's like thousands of people searching for it, and a bunch of people have died looking for it. But a bunch of people have speculated that he was D.B. Cooper Get also. <laughs> what? How does that even come into play, right? I don't know. I yeah. got to look into this. I know a lot about I've not, I've not heard that. Say, I feel say like... the name again. <laughs> Forest Fen. Apparently, uh, Greg Carlwood has done an episode on the Forest Fen treasure also. And I had never heard of it until yesterday. I got this email and they sent me a link to a forum and on the forum, there was a thread about people who believe there's a connection between Forrest Fenn or possibly his brother and D.B. Cooper. I mean, I'm just going to say it. A lot of people think that there's a correlation between Bigfoot and D.B. Cooper. So I have to research this for myself. <laughs> you know well, you know what you might want to watch, Gidget, is there's a movie, I think it's on Amazon Prime right now, called Bigfoot versus D.B. Cooper. I've seen it. Get the I've fuck seen out it. of here. <laughs> I've seen it. Big you watched foot? it? Yes, I did. It's on Amazon Prime. Wow. Yeah, it's the weirdest movie. Yes. It's just, it's, it's not D.B. Cooper or Bigfoot at all. It's just like shirtless guys working out. What and the that's fuck? Why, and that's why I said I want to make a movie with fucking Nicolas Cage, Polly Shore, and Jake Busey going Bigfoot hunting. I think it would be a fucking masterpiece. <laughs> I'm going to check that out. Forrest Fenn. I've never heard of that. That's, that's You know, that, that that just goes to show you that no matter what, there's always a there's some little weird jab. little niche that is like hiding in there that, you know, you could find. You're like, never heard of that. Check yeah. that out. Oh, yeah. I had a gal message me saying that she believed that Bill Gates' father, William Gates, was D.B. Cooper because he looked exactly like the sketch. And that's where Bill Gates, his father got the money and was able to send his son to oh. school. And I was like, holy shit, that's a wild theory. Yeah. I Wouldn't need you to nuts? come on the show right away and talk about it. I mean, and she was like, let me look into it a little bit more and then I'll come on the show. And I messaged her back a few months later and she was like, you know what? It turns out I don't think Bill Gates' dad is D.B. Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> that's some crazy oh, shit. That's awesome. <laughs> I mean, I think Dave Chappelle was Obama, but I mean, that's just my own conspiracy theory. I like it. <laughs> Sounds legit. There's a lot of correlation. Do the uh, Ted Kaczynski, D.B. Cooper ages line up? I never looked in. I don't I know. Never, I'd have the to Ted Kaczynski one is interesting because the guy who's kind of floated that is probably one of the most knowledgeable people about the case. Hmm. And so I have a lot of respect for what he says, but when I've kind of looked into that a little bit, I can't really make it work. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. That one sounds... Also, I've invited him on the show twice, and both times he's said, I'm very interested in coming on your show. And then two or three hours later has said, never message me again. Please leave me alone. Wow. <laughs> We talk about one extreme That's to the next, dark. right? I mean, Jesus yeah. Christ. I never get that. That's insane. I just get people going, okay. Darren? Yeah, there's also the uh, 
the DB Cooper troll who has gone all over like Facebook and Twitter and everything, just blasting James Klansnick as a suspect and just constantly looking for attention. And I've invited him on the show multiple times and he's completely like blocked me on, on everything. He gave me his phone number for a period of time. He's blocked my phone number now. Send me his info. So it's like he was desperate for attention and said he would come on the show, but then just refused to talk to me. Hmm. That's interesting. Send me his info too. <laughs> that's, pretty, that's pretty wild. You know, you would think, you know, you would get these people who sound so interested and then all of a sudden they back out. That just, just yeah, you know, it makes you wonder if people are getting cold feet or if, if it's something more, you know, um, yeah, it's it's just one of those. I just things. think it might be people who don't really know the case, and then when when they start looking it up, they're like, "Oh, never mind." Like Bill Gates' dad story. I mean, <laughs> yeah. that's pretty wild shit, isn't it? <laughs> but you would, th- I mean, like two hundred thousand dollars, even though that's like one point two some million dollars in today's world. It's not like a ton, a ton of but money. But I mean, it's right? a great startup money for anything. Yeah, I mean, now you could start up like a coffee business, I guess. Like, I don't know, you're not starting a ton of stuff up with a million dollars, but... But, I mean, back then, that was a lot of money. Do you think... Do you, I mean, like, do you think that the whoever D.B. Cooper was, do you think he, he takes the money and he just goes and, and like, spends it willy-nilly? Or do you think he sits on it? Like, I don't think he used the money at all. Hmm. I think he did spend the money, but I, I think he spent it wisely and carefully. Like maybe like the gossip story where there's like a safety deposit box up in Canada, you know, like yeah. you hear that and you're like, huh, you know, like you, it makes you wonder, like, could there... crack this thing yeah, although gossip was a, uh, a gambler. Yeah. Right. And that's another thing. Like if, if the person that, that goes on this, you know, if DB Cooper is a gambler, I would think that money wouldn't have lasted his entire life. Right. I mean. In my mind, like I would think that you would be able to go through that fairly quick if you're a gambler. Not quick, but I mean, 10, 20 years, that money would be gone, I would think, right? I mean, even if you're just spending a little bit here and I don't there. think that he spends it at all, honestly. I think if he, if, he, if he does the hijacking for money, then he's spending it. If he does it not for money, then yeah. If it's for like the Barb Dayton thing, then mm-hmm. maybe it's not about the money. Then the money just I love ends that up we're wherever. Just passing your dog around. Yeah, but I don't know. It's it's one of those things where it's like it, it just really. It's perplexing. Yeah. So, uh, Darren, I got one more question to ask you, and then uh, we'll let you go here. You ready for the, right. the biggest question Big of all? Question. I'm ready. What's your favorite cryptid? Oh man. <laughs> Uh, is Bigfoot one of them? Oh! Absolutely, you, you could say that. <laughs> He's one of mine. I yeah, mean, I, I absolutely love Bigfoot. Yeah. I mean, you know, I got Bigfoot T-shirts, Bigfoot uh-huh. hats, Bigfoot stickers. Spotchin'. You name it. Um, yeah. So is Bigfoot's that your favorite? Well, I'm, I'm from the Pacific Northwest, so that makes sense. By default, then yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you ever seen a Bigfoot? I've not seen a Bigfoot, and if we're going to talk about Bigfoot for a second, I do not believe in Bigfoot, but what I find most fascinating about that story is growing up so many guys that I know to be a hundred percent honest and really respect have told me they've had weird Bigfoot encounters in the forest. Interesting. And if there's anything that makes me question like, what the fuck is that real? It would be some of those men telling me stories about that. They saw something suspicious and were scared. 
I definitely think there's something out there. I don't I don't necessarily know if it's what we think it is, but there definitely could be an upright primate that we just don't mm-hmm. see very often that could what be was freaking it, Mount out. Saint Helen? Uh well there's a whole story about Mount St. <laughs> Helen that they were actually rescuing <laughs> these things at, at out of the caves. Um but you Yeah, know, and I grew up at the base of Mount St. Helens. Yeah. So you probably have heard those stories, right? Have you heard those stories? Oh, I've heard a thousand Bigfoot stories. Yeah. I mean it's it's pretty wild when well, you hear the stories. That's why D B Cooper and Bigfoot are kind of connected mm-hmm. because of the mountain. The area. Um the uh the here, take your dog. Pretty interesting. Uh, Darren, I want to thank you again for coming on, man. That was pretty yes, awesome. Yes, I loved it. Thank you. Anytime I get a chance to talk about D.B. Cooper, I'm definitely down. Yes. Uh, and you're like, like I said, you're becoming the guy where all the information is going to and you're putting it out to the public. And that's pretty awesome that you're the guy that's now responsible for keeping the story alive. Oh, thanks, guys. Feel? I appreciate it. Yeah, I like to tell people I'm not an expert on the case, but I'm an expert on all the suspects and theories. Yes. Oh, one more question I, I that I wanted to ask you. CooperCon, how was that? Cooper Con was great. Um, just hanging out with everyone was probably my favorite part of it. There were they had these meet and greets at two different breweries, Ooh. and just hanging out and having a bunch of beers and talking DB Cooper with people was really awesome. You know, I met a few people who were fans of the show, which is also super cool. It wasn't people I had begged to listen to my own show, <laughs> right? So that was pretty exciting, and we got to hear from. A bunch of people who spoke at it, you know, including myself. But Mark Metzler has a really interesting perspective. He's a lawyer. He's an electronics expert. And he's a sport parachutist with over a thousand jumps, including nighttime and water landings. Hmm. And then Bruce Smith spoke about conspiracy theories related to the case, which was just absolutely phenomenal. And, you know, anytime you get a chance to hear Bruce speak, it's fantastic he is a great speaker yeah he definitely is on his episode where he's like well how deep down this rabbit hole do you want to go and i was like let's go let's Let's go go very deep (laughs) um that that is pretty cool yeah i was trying to find some video uh on CooperCon, but i really couldn't find any actual video but i did find some other uh stuff that 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 you were involved in um other like stuff you've been on stuff like that so it's kind of cool to watch that um, but definitely keep doing what you're doing, man. Yes. You got a website you want to push? Anything like that? I don't have a website or anything. Just check out the Cooper Vortex, and we have a, a Facebook page, the Cooper Vortex, and Twitter at DB Cooper Podcast, and then on Instagram at the Cooper Vortex. Awesome. But just check out my show. It's free, and in my opinion, it's fucking awesome. Yes. I, it is. It is pretty awesome. And uh, the twenty dollars bill that you got to see is could that be possibly the same one that was on Pawn Stars? It just I mean, do, do, do you know that if that was? It's not the same one from okay. Pawn Stars. It's it belongs to Mark Metzler. Uh, when when the Ingrams got the money back from the FBI, finally, mm-hmm. it's kind of a long story. But Brian Ingram actually auctioned off a bunch of the money and mm. so some auction house had a bunch of the bills and sold it all so what? there are gosh i want to say there's like 60 or 70 20s floating Man. around out yeah, there what do they go for do you know what they go for i think he made like thirty nine thousand dollars or something like that. yeah he made a lot of money yeah jesus down. for for a little over 100 bucks i mean that's pretty damn awesome <laughs> i i would estimate that each 20 at this point in time is worth well over a thousand dollars wow that's pretty cool i mean it would be yeah, pr- pr- more than i could afford yeah it would be cool to own, own one you know to stay there and like this is this is it you know what i mean so i don't know 
Um, yeah, and they're all in terrible shape too. None of them are like full twenty dollar bills. Yeah, yeah I know. Every, everyone you see literally looks 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 like it's been in a fire and then drugged through a swamp. I mean, they look horrible, but still, it is what what it is, and that's pretty damn awesome. Um, so Darren, I want to thank you again for coming on, man. This has been awesome. You have yes, to keep in touch you. with us, and we'll keep in touch with you. And that, uh, any new information that you have, be awesome to pass along to us. We'll pass it along. Let me know what you Push think out. about the things that I sent you. <laughs> Absolutely, I will. I appreciate that, Gidget. Mm-hmm. I love this case. You don't understand. I love this case. It's de- <laughs> it, it's definitely interesting, and I, that's what made 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 it so cool was to find somebody that's devoting pretty much their entire podcast yeah. uh, to a topic. is pretty damn cool. So I hope you know you're like you know the pain Lindsay, and you solved this case. I think that I would be pretty awesome. I hope you don't awesome. solve it, honestly. <laughs> Darren's like, yeah. I've, I had someone tell me like my. Already, my show is over thirty hours into this. Yeah. The event happened in five hours. Yeah, I know. So. You have more information than the entire event. You know yeah, I mean? that's uh, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, so. I love it. Uh, keep up so the good you work so you're much. doing, man. And I want to thank you again and uh, have an awesome night, man. Tomorrow's Thanksgiving. You want to go jump out of a plane tonight? <laughs> uh, I'll think about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can't tell us, right? Because yeah. then, because then you'll get caught. Yeah, we need plausible right. deniability. <laughs> All right, Darren. I want to thank you again, man. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me on, guys. It was a great time. Thank you. Take it easy. Bye. And that was Darren from the Cooper Vortex. Such a great conversation. I love this case. I could go on forever and ever and ever about it. (laughs) Like I said, this dude's got over 30 episodes. Yeah, but um, I mean, I bring something new to the case that he wasn't aware of. So definitely go check out his show. And like I was saying, um, he's definitely, he seems to be, even in the D.B. Cooper forum world, he's the guy now that everybody's saying, here's the information, do with it what you yeah. want. And I, I think that's pretty cool that we're in, in, a, in a day and age where we're able to, to, you know, a lot of this, a lot of this information has been written, you know, mm-hmm. down or, or, you know, on type. But it's, now we it's nice to get a digital format, other. a digital format format now with this and mm-hmm. you know this, this, this happened support. in 1971 i mean yeah, today's so, the anniversary yeah so i i, I want to thank him again that was yes thank you so awesome. much for coming and on that is our episode guys yes uh, go check us out everywhere at xdexperience.com you can call and leave us a voicemail 1-802-483-3682 if you have any questions daring it back to me with those emails um i think and... jim might be coming on next week oh really i wasn't aware of this i was talking to him the other okay, night okay what are we so doing i don't know i'm okay. trying to get it if all he's right. actually coming on or not all so right i was I'm like to go party i was like dude if you want to come on let, let me know and then he hasn't said anything back okay. so I, i'll hit him up tonight we'll about see. coming on uh all right but yeah so yep. check us out everywhere i'm inspector gidget agent m peace out brussels sprouts latest <laughs> This song uh, called D.B. Cooper. D.B. Cooper was 43 when we first heard his name. 47 miles away from where he fell down to his fame. He told me that the hardest part was really jumping out of that plane. It was spending the night Watching those lights shine down through the pouring rain They hunt a man hunting that next morning like nothing I'd ever seen I was only eight years old at the time 
Watching on the TV screen They were saying he was never gonna make it now Now the daylight had set in But later that night they were shining those lights Down on the mountain again Not far away From the city of roses They all watched those lights up through the rain for D.B. Cooper So the cops blocked off all the exit roads and they turned loose all of their hounds they even dragged the river up a couple of times To see if he had drowned With all those men working overtime They swore they would bring him down But a parachute and a few hundred dollars Is all that they've ever found Not far away From the city of roses They all watch those lights up through the rain Some people say that he died up there Somewhere in the rain and the wind Other people say that he got away But then his girlfriend did him in the lawmen say if he's out there someday they're gonna drag him in as for me i hope they never see old db cooper again not far away from the city of roses a light shine from a house out in the rain it was db Dragon champagne. It's dragon champagne. It's dragon champagne. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.